Welcome to the Mexico Business Now podcast. This is a view from the top, an open space for industry experts to share knowledge, information, and expertise on the most relevant topics, events, and happenings under corresponding sectors. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Mexico Business Now podcast. I'm your host, Perla Velasco. Today with me, I have John Padilla, Managing Director at IPD Latin America. For 25 years, IPD Latin America has provided customized energy consulting services to global oil, gas, and power companies, governments, and financial institutions. Welcome, Jan. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so first, I'd like to start with giving you this space for you to introduce yourself, IPD Latin America, and your role within the company. Absolutely. No, thank you very much. So IPD Latin America is a boutique energy consultancy. We've been around, as you mentioned, for 25 years. We got started in Venezuela and uh, have continued to be quite active there. And so, you know, for those listeners that have followed kind of recent developments on the easing of sanctions, you know, the bond markets are once again active and there's a lot of new buzz kind of going on in Venezuela. And then I basically joined my business partner as there was tremendous amount of interest in Mexico following the election of uh, Vicente Fox back in 2000 and uh, opened up the offices in, in Mexico at that time, basically to, to work with a lot of the large IOC companies that we were uh, active with in Venezuela that were looking to you know, finally get a toehold in Mexico. In 2009, we then expanded into Colombia, and I actually relocated down to Colombia in 2011, and so I actually reside uh, uh, here in, in Colombia. So our consultancy work basically focuses uh, very much on the deal side. We do do a lot of government relations, key stakeholder-related activity regulatory risk monitoring and, and understanding of, of that just because Latin America you know continues to be a, a fairly complex arena you know with a lot of nuances in different countries uh, as to as to kind of what things are, are happening and how they're evolving depending on what administration comes into power etc and then we I very much get involved, given my finance background, with due diligence work, with a lot of M&A support. We work quite actively with the financial community as well. Uh, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Excellent. Thank you. And talking also about your financial background, we'd like to know what drew you to energy consulting and the creation and what drew you to IPD Latin America as well? Well, I was always quite actively involved on international markets. And so throughout my banking career, I was involved with a lot of international transportation and then project finance and structured finance in Latin America, as well as Asia, the United States, et cetera. And, you know, 2001, when I, when I finally jumped ship from the finance world, Wall Street, I saw Mexico as the one market that really had the potential, given its proximity to the United States, access to markets, et cetera, to kind of break the mold and really kind of live up to its potential in the energy markets. So that was that was the shift. It was also a very strong interest to do something much more entrepreneurial and have a lot more flexibility. So, I mean, I think a lot of people 
you know, learn flexibility during the pandemic. But, uh, you know, quite frankly, as my friends used to laugh as I ran around on, you know, some of our uh, weekend uh, getaways and trips with my laptop, you know, that's become the norm. So, you know, I think knowledge is one thing. Relationships are critically important, but the flexibility to, you know, to be able to do what you do, you know, uh, from, from the place that is suitable for personal or professional reasons is, is incredibly important. And I think, you know, that, that has evolved over the last couple of decades and, and now it's taken hold in a way that, you know, we, we started doing at the very onset back in the late 1990s. Excellent. Yeah, a lot has changed in the way now people work around the world. And diving right into the topics, I'd like to touch the topic of geopolitical dynamics and the state of the industry in Mexico. So how do you see Mexico is navigating all these changes, especially now that Pemex has gained, again, a little more control over the market? How do you see Mexico and private operators are navigating all of these changes in Mexico? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, geopolitics have, have always played an incredibly vital role in Mexico's energy sector. I mean, it goes back, you know, to the nationalization of the oil and gas sector. And that has, you know, continued to play an incredibly important role for, you know, nearly a hundred years. And so, you know, I think that undoubtedly there's been great wealth that has been created. I think you can argue that you know, the discoveries of Cantarell Kumulubzat truly created the modern Mexican state. It created just a tremendous amount of wealth and capacity that Mexico you know, really didn't have up through basically the mid, uh, mid-70s. But I think you know, the question that I put out there, the, or the, you know, the challenge is, is that you know, has it really lived up to its potential? And, you know, I think the potential has always well exceeded the realities. So, yes, there's always fantastic opportunities, but if you don't create kind of the structure and the markets to really embrace that kind of growth, it's always going to be much, much less than is possible. So, you know, just the, the proximity to the U.S. Gulf Coast and all the refineries that you have there and all of the infrastructure, you know, that you have is a huge, huge asset for, for Mexico. That's on the, you know, the, the upstream side. If you take a look at in terms of renewables, you clearly have world-class solar and wind in different parts of the country, et cetera. But are you really kind of harnessing you know, those resources and the capacity that you have to kind of unleash capital. And I think, you know, one of the biggest questions that continues to plague Mexico is what I would call the trickle-down theory. And so, you know, are people in these areas where there's development, are they seeing the benefits, right? And I mean, we, I think we're all quite aware of, you know, the different communities, for instance, in Oaxaca that, you know, didn't want more wind farms or whether you have, uh, you know, NIMBY issues in, in other parts of the country or whether you've really kind of created sustainable economic development that is not solely dependent on oil and gas in places like Tabasco, in places like Campeche and Veracruz. 
So, you know, I think those continue to be massive challenges, but at the same time, massive opportunities. And I think we've had kind of what I would call two experiments. The, you know, the 2013 energy reform was an experiment in some respects. There was a backlash to that experiment. And now we've had a, a you know, basically a five-year experiment on the other side. And I think both have come up short for very different reasons. And, you know, a lot of this kind of comes back to what is it that Mexico wants out of its energy sector? And, you know, quite frankly, does it matter, right? I mean, Mexico's economy has diversified very significantly. Now, you can argue it's a lost opportunity, but that that's a that's a political decision, right? And that's a decision that needs to be taken at, at senior levels. You know, the question is, is, you know, can Pemex and CFE really provide, you know, the services at a economic price? And do they have the wherewithal to kind of do that? And I think that, you know, that has been put in increasing question, as we've seen basically from the rating agencies, bondholders, you know, service suppliers and partners, et cetera. So it's not to speak one way or the other. It's just to say, here's the realities of what we're facing. Here's the geopolitical issues that have shaped that environment. You know, the question as we move into the 2024 election are certainly how much will we really talk in detail as to the kind of models that are needed to embrace nearshoring and all of the activity we now, you know, Hacienda just came out with new incentives, but that doesn't negate the issues that you have on electricity, water, security, and then obviously the, the more ideological issue of having more investment in the South. Well, you need the infrastructure. And so, you know, again, infrastructure plays a big role. So we could go on, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Sure. And trying to unfold little by little that you have told us at the moment regarding renewable energy integration, considering Mexico's context, what specific challenges do you see and how would you feel they should be best addressed, especially in this context of nearshoring? Well, you know, I think that it goes beyond just oil and gas companies, right? I mean, right now, we have a legal framework that permits kind of all of the above, but the, the current administration has very much kind of limited what is possible both on the electricity side. So if we're looking at you know distributed generation, if we're taking a look at self-supply projects, if we're looking at then even long-term contracts uh, for, for larger projects that was CFE, and then, you know, even on the upstream side, I mean, should be able to form a, a joint venture with Pemex, but right now, you know, that's just not the political operative mechanism that, that's being used. So it really constrains everybody in terms of what they can do in terms of clean energy. I think Mexico for oil and gas companies represents one of the biggest opportunities to create projects, integrated projects of oil and gas with clean energy related uh, efforts. Those projects typically require size, scale, and then proximity to market. Those are all things that Mexico has, but you need to kind of create a, an environment 
uh, of certainty. You need to then create a the structures that are going to basically permit that. So I think that you know that's a challenge for the new administration that that comes in. I mean, there's talk about Mexico was very much at the vanguard of clean energy and renewable efforts in years past, and I think there's a clear consensus that. Mexico needs to embrace more renewables. I think we have two different approaches as to how that will be done, right? So whether that's going to be done through a state model or whether that's going to be done through a more of an open market model. And you know, it raises the question of can you know the state model really do that on its on its own? Puerto Penasco, at least, you know, today very expensive, more and more subsidies. So if you're going to try to replicate that model, can the state continue to afford, you know, that kind of, of subsidization? Again, just questions. But, uh, you know, I think that Mexico has all the elements that are in place to really embrace, and it's just not renewables, it's, it's clean energy. But when you have, you know, some of the FANG companies, Facebook, Amazon, Google, you know, Netflix, uh, companies of that kind of scale that have really embraced clean energy mantras into their into their entire, you know, business model. You know, when you're hearing some of these companies say, well, we may have to burn diesel because we don't have any other option in Mexico. That's a problem, right? That should be sending off alarm bells. And that's just a result of the, of the situation that we have in place. So something's got to give. And I think the good news is, is that we we have two lead presidential candidates that seem to want to embrace more clean energy. Great. And the question, I think, you know, hopefully we get a much more open debate and discussion about these issues and the realities, right? I mean, what is possible? And then what do you actually need to do to get that? Because particularly on the renewables front, you're dealing with smaller companies. Those returns are a lot smaller. And that is going to have a big, big impact on then the kind of models and structures that you can put in place. That's very interesting. And also we have here a question that I really like regarding all these issues going at the moment. So beyond the headlines, what are some less obvious but critical ESG considerations that IPD helps clients in general, like from the energy sector, navigate? And how does your nuanced approach contribute to the long-term sustainability operations of these clients? No, so, you know, I think there's two things. I mean, one is, is that we're regional. So, you know, it, it's a focus beyond just Mexico or just beyond Mexico and the U.S., which a lot of times is, is what you get quite a bit of, you know, in Mexico. And, you know, understanding of some of these other markets in a more nuanced and detailed view is, 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 I think, incredibly important because these are issues that are facing the whole region. I mean, the region as a whole has incredible clean energy resources, but we have a big disconnect right now between those resources and then efforts and programs to kind of, you know, really embrace them. So, you know, renewables is one thing. We've had auctions, et cetera, in different markets in, in Mexico, in Brazil, Chile, even, you know, Argentina, here in Colombia with, you know, different degrees of, of, of success. But the increasing challenge is, is what I call more technology driven. 
And, you know, this is, continues to be an evolution of all of the above. And we need more and more resources by the day. Pre-pandemic, we had a consumption of 100 million barrels per day. OPEC just came out and said, you know, we're, we're going to 113 million, right? So all these folks that said that, you know, oil is dead, don't think so. And now with the geopolitical issues that we're seeing beyond Ukraine and Israel and all of the Middle East, that's only becoming more pronounced. So, you know, I think the challenge for Latin America and for Mexico specifically is, is that how do you harness the clean energy resources that you have to create projects? And what you find is that typically the region doesn't undertake subsidies or incentives in general terms. Interestingly enough, and I think I alluded to this earlier, Hacienda has now just uh, created a bunch of tax incentives for, for nearshoring. That certainly will, that will attract you know, interest on, on that front, but we, need to, we really need to attack you know, some of these energy sector related challenges if, we, if Mexico wants to embrace and take advantage of, of these clean energy resources. So, you know, I think just anecdotally, what you find is, is that you talk to a lot of the, you know, large oil and gas companies that are doing a tremendous amount of investment and activity in the U.S. And you look for a dedicated person that's doing clean energy in Latin America and you won't find them, right? You won't find them because there's not the incentives, there's not, you know, subsidies, et cetera, that exist. So what that means for Mexico and for the region in general is, is that you've got to find these large-scale projects that, you know, again, have scale, they've got proximity to market, and then you need to continue to educate. Continual education of this is for everybody because the energy sector is so massive. People say, oh, the energy sector, well, you may know this little piece, but you may not be able to connect it connect the dot over here. And so it really requires a much more kind of holistic kind of approach. And then to your question, you know, I think in terms specifically, you know, on ESG, so, you know, beyond our understanding of the financial markets and the sensitivities that a lot of these bondholders are, are facing, you know, I think it's, the E is, is probably the most obvious, right? But I think, you know, the, the S and the G are much bigger issues for, for Latin America. So E just requires political will. It requires kind of protocol, et cetera. Corporate governance is a whole philosophy, a whole approach. So it's having the redundancy. It's having the systems in place that, you know, that really allow that. And then, you know, security, you know, fits squarely into that, into that uh, universe as well. So, you know, I think that a lot of people, you know, just kind of throw, you know, throw out ESG, but, you know, do they really understand what that really entails and what does it mean? And whether ESG becomes, you know, continues to be the kind of benchmark or, you know, as a lot of people are saying, well, we have greenwashing, et cetera. There's a fundamental shift and kind of, broader knowledge that exists that is requiring us as society to be good stewards, right? Good stewards of our environment, good stewards of our communities. And this gets back to that issue that, you know, we talked about earlier, which is, is that 
it's not just providing programs to communities that are short-term, but what kind of programs are being instituted that will create long-term educational difference and wealth generation that is not solely dependent on the energy sector? I think those are fundamental issues that if we embrace ESG in the right way, could have tremendous, tremendous impact. Of course, there are so many components that it's actually good to have someone on your side, like IPD, for example, to actually help you navigate how to connect all the parts that go into the energy sector, into the energy industry. And we're reaching the last part of our interview. And I'd like to ask you more about your prediction on the future, what geopolitical, technological, or market disruptions, or any other factors do you anticipate will have the most impact on Mexico's energy sector in the upcoming years? And how can companies leverage on IPD's insights to prepare for these disruptions? So, you know, I think that as I spoke about at the Mexico Oil and Gas Summit, we've been talking about financial crisis at Pemex for 20 years. And I think that that's actually the easiest thing to fix. The world has continued to evolve. And I think that the biggest challenge that Mexico faces, which is only now being exacerbated by renewables, clean energy, et cetera, is technology. And so the embracing of technology, the embracing of research and, and, and development is something that needs to be taken much more uh, seriously uh, at, at all at all levels. Uh, having a good technical counterweight is absolutely vital. And unfortunately, I think you can make the argument that after the discovery of Cantarell, Lopez Portillo famously said, uh, the only thing we now need to manage is the abundance. Well, the abundance has now kind of run its course. It created lots of abundance. Was some of that misappropriated, misused, perhaps, but there was a lot of wealth that was created. And the next stage that we face, that Mexico faces in its energy sector, is all technologically driven. So whether we're talking about oil and gas and, and whether it's onshore or offshore, these are new technologies that, quite frankly, Pemex is not the forefront leader on, right? So whether you're getting into these high-pressure, high-temperature fields, whether you're getting into you know deeper, shallow water, people will say, oh, Pemex is a deep water expert. Well, what does that mean, right? That is super shallow water. And the discoveries that have been made, the few that have been made, recently are in much deeper water. They're sandstone, highly different type of formation in terms of how you extract hydrocarbons out of those. And now we have deep water, right? So the Trion development, this is a first, and it creates the potential opportunity to finally develop deep water resources on the other side of the Gulf of Mexico. Because when you take a look at what's going on on the U.S. side, that's been incredibly prolific. Obviously, under this current administration, that was then just kind of shelved. 
So the question becomes is, are we going to you know, pursue that? Are we going to pursue unconventionals? Chicontepec has massive resources, et cetera. Again, clean energy, renewables, these all require a lot more technology, a lot more kind of development. It's not just about money. It's not just about control. So that's the evolution that I think Mexico is going to really need to embrace as a starting point. Technology can define then the outcomes or the type of solutions that you want to create. But if you don't have consensus on the basis, then you don't have your north. And Mexico needs to find its north in terms of its energy sector. Thank you so much for that part. That's a very valuable insight. And now to wrap up this podcast, if you could give one piece of advice to companies looking to relocate to Mexico in regards to their energy needs, what would it be? Well, we could probably spend a half hour on that easily without even blinking. But, you know, I think Mexico is incredibly attractive on paper. The complexity becomes in the, in the nuance and on the details. And I think a lot of people underestimate time and time again what those challenges are. And so we've seen it in spades over the last decade, particularly on the permitting side. Permitting continues to be you know, a big challenge, more so in certain areas than others. But you find that that is a huge time sink and a huge cost. Security is another broad topic. It's like you kind of throw out the word ESG. Well, security can mean a lot of different things. And it's understanding some of the nuances in that and then how you address that to kind of, you know, operate effectively. And, you know, I think there's a reason that, you know, Salvador Dali once said that, you know, Mexico is the most surreal place that he knew on planet Earth or something, I'm paraphrasing. But it's just that there's layers. Mexico is a country of layers. And so what you think you see on the surface is rarely what you get underneath. So it's it's exactly why I think that if you think that it's uh, you know what you're getting into, you know more times than not, it's a little more complex. It doesn't mean that it's untenable. It just means you need to make sure that you're getting all the input necessary to make the right decisions, to make informed decisions, and that are going to you know result in, in long-term viable investments. It's that simple. Thank you so much. And then finally, we always like to ask our guests about recommendations. So are there any podcasts or books that you could recommend us along the lines of what we've discussed today? Yeah, no, I, I go through phases on, on reading. I read so much in general, but I haven't picked up any kind of books probably related you know, to the sector just because I need, I need to kind of clear brain. But on the podcast side, you know, I like to... Two that I guess are, are probably interesting and maybe have some relevance. You know, one is In Good Company, which is really talks with just global leaders. And it's just always, I think, valuable to, to get different perspectives that are outside of our day-to-day -day kind of experience in terms of, you know, what's kind of going on in the world and what, you know, the challenges that other people are facing that are heading up big entities and institutions. And then uh, the other one has a funny name or is, is just that it's history that doesn't suck. And I'm a huge believer of, you know, understanding history, the context of it, because I think it always puts things into perspective as to really what's going on 
and you know what we're seeing in a incredibly more complex world day by day. So those are the two that I I put on the table. Excellent. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of history. Also, I think that sometimes the answers are just in the past. So thank you so much for those recommendations. And thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate the valuable insights that you gave us today. No, thank you. Much appreciated. And for everyone listening, go check out IPD Latin America on their website, social media, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to follow us, leave a rating and a review on whichever streaming platform you are using to listen to this podcast. And if you want to learn more about the Mexico business ecosystem, don't miss out on our daily audio articles written by the best experts across all industries. And we'll see you next Monday with a new view from the top.